The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me ask you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. I need to apologize to a few groups this morning for uh, changing things up. I don't normally go away from what I've prepared, but uh, since the Lord leading in another direction today. So I apologize to the guys in the booth who have the task of putting the Scripture on the screen. If Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 comes up, that's not where we'll be. Um, so, and I also apologize to David on the computer because um, I'm going to go to several different Scriptures. So um, lucky you today, right? Okay. And then I apologize to Ray because uh, Ray, uh, he had asked me what my last point was so that when I started my last point, he could go tell him to start firing up the grills to get ready for the cookout. Ray, take a stab at it, all right? Um, and, if, and if we have to wait just a few extra minutes to get our burgers and our hot dogs, that'll be okay. Um, this morning, I, I just I spent time this morning with our deacons and with prospective deacons, starting training with them and walking through and talking about the, the value and the importance of expositional preaching. Expositional preaching being over and against topical preaching where a pastor will take a particular topic and want to preach about that so he then takes and he finds different verses of Scripture that prove his point. And I just belabored that point that it's not a healthy way to preach topically. It's okay occasionally, but for the most part we should preach expositionally where we take instead of lots of Scripture to prove a topic, we take a passage of Scripture and expose, expositional, we expose what's there in the Word of God, and then we find the point there, making the point of the passage, the point of the sermon, and apply that in different ways to our lives. Just belabored that to those deacons and prospective deacons, and now this morning I'm going to go away from that, I'm going to preach on the spot a topical message. Um, But I feel led to you today just to articulate the gospel. Sometimes we come in to a setting like this and we we quickly go through things that are involved or that are typically included in a service. And we, we go through prayers and reading of Scripture and taking an offering and singing songs and we preach. And sometimes we forget that there is a main reason why we are here. And the main reason we are all here is the gospel. We talk about the gospel. We use it as a buzzword. But what is the gospel? I want to show you that in a few passages today. And then I make no bones about the fact that I'm going to be inviting you to trust the Lord Jesus to be your only hope of salvation, only hope of being made right before God today. Some of you know coming in here today that you are at odds with God, that your life, your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts condemn you. You know it in your heart. And you're wondering, how can I be made right? The answer is not for you to just keep trying to do better. That's a rat race that you'll never get off of. That's a treadmill that never ends. It gets you nowhere. I want to show you today that there is no need for you to actually run after a right relationship with God. That Jesus has come and He has done everything necessary for you to be made right with God. It's grace on His part. I want to walk through this. And I want to start in Revelation chapter 19. 
Because at the end of this, and I have no idea how this message is going to go now, and I have no idea how this is going to end. So here we go. You know, but I know that in a few minutes we're going to be sitting together around tables for a meal. So that in itself is a picture or a reminder of another meal that we will be seated together at. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. These few verses here, 6, 7, and 8, are a description of this marriage supper of the Lamb. When Christ comes again and ushers in the kingdom once and for all, we will gather with the rest of the saints in the presence of our God forever. But before we can get to that great celebration, there has to be something that qualifies us to sit at that table. And turn with me back to Revelation chapter 1. You can turn with me or you can simply listen. I'm going to probably be all over the place since I have no notes this morning. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. And the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the heavens, the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw it, that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God, saw, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. 
So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every, seed, every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of, of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And there's a phrase that's repeated all throughout that. It was good. 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 It was very good. And it doesn't take us very long to look around us and see that our God is an amazingly creative God. And He is powerful. That you can look at all the things that are around us and you can see design behind all of creation. Whether it's that spider that's in that web that I have talked about often. Builds that web intricately like a master architect. Whether, whether it's that chicken that Ray and I were talking about that, that lays those eggs amazing, amazing miracle of God's creation. Or whether it's the fact that today we joke as we come in about, you know, I, I just rode my canoe in the, you know, on the way to church today. We know that's funny because we think about all the water that's coming down out there and we haven't had this much rain at this time of the year in a long time. But it points to the fact that there is a designer who is behind this. And that these things that need rain to exist, God is watering the earth and providing for that. We look at our human body and we see just the way our eyes function. Our hair grows. I mean, all these things. We eat, digest, our hearts beat, our brains function. And we look at this and we say, there's design in all of this. Our God is good. Our God has made it all. But we also don't have to look very far until we see in this world evidence that something has gone wrong. When God said it was good, there was no death. There were no terrorists making bombs out of pressure cookers and placing them next to eight-year-old boys. When God said it was good, it's very good, there were no people that were hijacking planes and flying them into buildings. 
When God said it was good, there was no cancer. There was no Alzheimer's. There were no heart attacks. There were no car accidents. When God said it was good, none of it existed. So what went wrong? What happened? Turn over a couple of pages and go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here's what went wrong. This creation that is good, The remnants of it that we see every day where God is not taking His hands off of it but still sustains it. There are still good things here, but it is marred. It is broken. And it starts here in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve in the garden say, I don't really believe God has my best interest at heart. I think He's really hiding something from me. Therefore, I will choose not to trust God and I will do things my own way. And in that moment, the Bible says that they died spiritually. That they went from having this perfect relationship with God where there was no separation to now all of a sudden they're aware of their nakedness and they immediately begin to hide from God. From this point forward, death enters the picture. Things begin to die. Dead spiritually, all of Adam and Eve's children and their children and children's children all the way to us are born dead. Dead spiritually, without any hope of a relationship with God. We are on the outs with Him, and there is physical death coming to us. But keep reading. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, Well, the the serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For, you, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So in Genesis 3, we understand what went wrong. Why are there floods? Why are there earthquakes? Why are there tragedies? Why does death exist? Why is there disease? It all comes back to Genesis 3. It's when man looked at God and said, God, I don't trust you. I'm going my own way and rebelled against God. In that moment, we fell. But the reality is, the promise is, this is the gospel. This is why we we talk about the gospel. This is why we come back here. Because even there, while the juice from the fruit is still on their chin, God walks into the garden and says to the serpent, one day the seed of the woman will crush your head. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You fast forward through this. You go from Adam and Eve in the garden. All of a sudden in chapter 4, Cain and Abel, their sons, first murder in the Bible. Men begin to, to, to rebel even further. You go to the Tower of Babel. They try to, they try to reach God on their own. Pride comes into the picture. You look at the lives of of Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives and how God prepared for them and provided for them the ark as he destroyed the earth to start over again with this family. And he provided this remnant and he saved. You look in Genesis 12 when he calls out to Abraham and says, come after me and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And the Jewish people were born. You see all through history, the Jews Trusting their God and rebelling. Trusting their God and rebelling. Trusting their God and rebelling. And every time they would rebel and get themselves into trouble, God would send rescue. Burning bush. God appears to Moses in a burning bush and He calls him to come out and deliver His people who are now in captivity in Egypt. God rescues. You see all through the Old Testament this pattern of the Israelites rebelling, repenting, trusting. And then one day you come to the Gospels. And you come to a book called John. And in the beginning of this book, it says, John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that, that made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We see here a picture of God again staying true to His character in rescuing a people who don't deserve it. We go forward in the book of John, and we go to John chapter 3. What used to be probably the most known verse in all of America. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 
See, the reality is that based on Genesis, Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, you and I don't deserve to know God. You and I don't deserve to be rescued. We are children of Adam. We are like him in that we have a nature that is prone to sin, and we make choices that are sin. We have attitudes that are wrong. Is this news to you? Am I surprising you? No. Because in your heart, you know. You know there are things that you do and that you think that are so incredibly wicked that it disgusts you at times. It happens to me. I'm no different than you. Sometimes people think, well, he's the pastor. He's up there. No. I'm in need of a Savior just like anyone else. At times, I think probably more than you. If you knew the wickedness sometimes of my mind and my heart, you would not listen to me. And that's why I need a Savior. And you need a Savior. All of us do. We are sinful to the core. And the Bible teaches that because we are children of Adam, we have no right to approach God. But God sends His Son to save us. The picture of the Old Testament sacrifices in the temple, all it was was a picture of the one who would come, the perfect sacrificial lamb. All those years, when every year, year after year after year, the Israelites would come to the temple, they would bring their sacrifice, they would bring it to the priest, and the priest would slit the throat of that animal and and place the, the sacrifice and the blood on the altar. All it was was a picture that one day this incomplete sacrifice would be replaced with a complete, final, thorough sacrifice. When you look at when, when, you, when, when you look at our, his, our history, Abraham and Isaac, the promised son, Isaac, finally given to Abraham and Sarah, what does God say to do? God says to Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. What does Abraham do? By faith, he believes God and he takes his son and he takes him up and he places him on the altar. But before he can lower the knife, God provides a ram that's caught in the thicket. The ram is the picture of the one that, G, that God would send in Jesus Over and over again, we see this picture. If you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this. Romans 3, 23, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction in 22, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means if you're here today is that you fall short of the glory of God. You have sinned. Without Christ, you have no hope. You are guilty before God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand, some some people come to that and they think, they come to this issue of God bringing a wage against sin of death. And they they look at their own lives, and, and you may be one of those people that you would say today, I don't believe I've done anything that's that bad that would cause God to have to punish me in that way to, to bring death on me. What have I done that's so bad? 
And what you do when you say that is that you compare yourselves to the people around you and you look at them and and you say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not making bombs out of pressure cookers. I'm not doing these things. I've never killed anyone. But what you're doing is you're comparing yourself to everyone else and looking at that and saying, well, relatively, I'm pretty good. But instead of comparing ourselves to one another, we should look at ourselves against the holiness of God. God is so holy. One drop of sin ruins us forever. God is just and He is loving. Some people want to look at God and they want to say things like, you know, I believe, I, I believe in a God that is so loving that there's no way He would punish in that way. Well, that sounds well and good, but that comes from you. And frankly, what right do you have to place on God how He must govern His creation? God is so just that He will not let sin, He will not let unrighteousness go unpunished. Every sin will go punished. Will be punished. It's either been punished in Christ on the cross or you will take the punishment on yourself and be separated from God forever in eternity. We look at the, we look at the cross. We see Jesus placed there and, and some would say, if, if God is so loving, if God is so wise and so kind, then how in the world could He ever send His own Son to die on the cross? question that was posed to me earlier some time back was, was, was this not murder on, on the part of God? We look at Jesus going to the cross and we see him going in the place of you and me. Why did Jesus have to do this? Why do we look at the cross and we see him arrested Jesus who knew no sin becoming sin for us? Why do we see him beaten in the way that he was? Why do we see him mocked? They took the crown of thorns and they placed the crown of thorns on his head, shoved it into his brow. They took the reed and they struck him on the head. They took old purple cloaks and they put it on themselves and they knelt before him and they mocked him saying, Oh, hail, King of the Jews. They beat him to the point of being unrecognizable, ripping the flesh from his back exposing ribs and all sorts of other things, and they caused him, they compelled him to carry his own cross through the town, naked and unrecognizable. They brought him up to that hill, they laid him on that cross, and they drove spikes through his hands and his feet, and they hoisted him up high to where everyone could see. And there for those hours on that cross, he breathed his last. He could have called himself down at any point. He's remembered John 1. He was in the beginning with God. He's the Word. He was with God and he was God. Nothing exists that didn't come through him. Yet he's subjecting himself to being hung on this cross. Why? Because God is so different than the picture that we see in our world today. We see in our world today a picture of anything but justice. Things happen, people commit crimes, and they very easily get off. Justice is not served in so many cases. But God is so just that He cannot let this go. And He's so just that even if He sends His own Son, 
he will send his own son to pay our penalty. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is where I was going to preach today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Let me just read this for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the one who endured the cross, despised the shame. When the Bible says that Jesus despised the shame, it doesn't mean that he looked at it and he, and he shrunk back. It means that he looked at what he would go through on the cross and instead of shrinking back, he counted it as nothing for the joy that was set before him. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? Genesis 1 tells us that God made everything good. Genesis 3, we rebelled. We fell from a state of right relationship with God. We deserve death, nothing but death and hell. But even in that state, the Bible teaches that God in his mercy sent his son, the one that was promised, and the son obeyed completely, went to the cross, endured it, despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. They took him down from that cross after he was dead. They shoved a spear in his side to make sure that he was dead. They took him down from that cross. They placed him into a tomb, into this grave. He was in that grave for three days, dead. And on the third day, God from heaven, completely satisfied with his life and his sacrifice, knowing that he had committed no sin of his own, yet justice had been served. The penalty for sin, the wrath of God, had been fully poured out on Christ. Knowing that, God vindicates Jesus by raising him from the dead. And the Bible teaches that you and I, that if today we would by faith say to God, the opposite of what our father Adam did, if we would say to God, God, I don't trust myself. I don't know what's best. I am alienated from you. I am a sinner and I need to be saved. I have no hope of saving myself. There's no fruit that I can pluck from any tree of my life that will bring me into a right relationship with you. I need the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you and I today, by faith, would say, God, forgive me of my sin. Save me today. The Bible teaches that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, that one day, you and I, while we may physically die, we will be raised from the dead and we will live forever with God in heaven. So when you and I today gather around the tables at our cookout today, not playing softball or any of those things because of the rain, but when we gather around that table and we look across the gym at one another and we see one another smiling and laughing, it should be a glimpse that we also will one day be seated around the table of heaven because Jesus came and died. Today, if you're here and this is the first time you've heard this or maybe this is the first time it's made sense to you. Today, if you're here and you have never turned from your own sin and trusted Christ alone as your only hope of salvation, 
then today we want to give you an opportunity to do that. There's nothing magical in any words that you'll say. There's nothing magical or, or lasting about walking an aisle. There's nothing lasting or magical about going through a baptistry. All of these are tools or symbols of a deeper reality. If the, if the position of your heart today is to yield yourself to God and to receive the grace that is offered in Jesus Christ, God says you will be forgiven. That you are forgiven in Him because all has been judged on Him. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and Ethan's going to come and lead and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to this. I'm going to be seated right here on this front row. If today God has shown you your need to be saved, then I would love to talk to you. And the Bible says that once we are saved, there is a moment of justification. There's a moment of conversion. It's an instantaneous moment of faith in Christ, grace coming into our lives. But the Bible also teaches that from that point, there will be this running with God, this walking with God. Hearts that are changed. Faith is born in us. Fruit of the Spirit living with us. Life's not going to be easy just because you place your faith in Christ. In fact, in some ways it will be harder. But your great dilemma, your great dilemma of standing before God and giving an account for your life will no longer be a dilemma. It will be resolved. You can be right with God today. That's the gospel. That's why we sing the songs we sing. That's why we, in 2013, open our wallets and take money and give to the work of the church. That's why we read Scripture. That's why I stand here and preach every single week. That's why we live differently in our, in our lives, where we, where we go into our lives and we live differently. We talk differently. We think differently. That's why we turn back to this book over and over again because he becomes the treasure that's worth leaving everything for. I want to pray and I want to lead us just to respond to God. However, when God leads you today, you respond to him. But let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, very different today. Not at all what I had prepared. But God, you are on your throne and you are sovereign. And God, I pray that you would take what's been said today, take the gospel, and God, that you would Lord, open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears. Lord, speak to, as you did in Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. Call men and women out of death. Make them alive today to the gospel. God, I pray, Lord, that you would You would bring much glory to yourself through the raising up and the testimony and the testifying about your Son. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.